If you have your Bibles, would you open them up to Habakkuk chapter 2? If you have a physical Bible, you might need your table of contents for this one. Habakkuk chapter 2. If you have a, a phone, just scroll. It's in the Old Testament. Um, Habakkuk chapter 2. It's a small little book. It's about three chapters, and it's in the Old Testament minor prophets, just to give you kind of a heads up. Some of you guys probably already know what, what I'm talking about here on Habakkuk, but in case you don't, in case that's like a, a random one from where we've been in, um, yeah, you'll want to use your table of contents for that. Now, our Bibles categorize the prophets in two ways. They have the major prophets and the minor prophets. It doesn't mean that the minor prophets are any, like, less important than the major prophets. It just means they're actually shorter. Like, they are minor versions of these big prophet books like Isaiah and Jeremiah. But a lot of these prophets, these minor prophets, like Habakkuk, were all contemporaries of these major books that we have. So Habakkuk, our attention that we're going to be putting into this morning is just one verse, and that's Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 14. And the question I just want to ask, or I just want to answer for you as to why are we here? What, is, what does Habakkuk have to do with us right now? What does he have to offer us? And my, my answer to that is so much. If you were here with us last week, John Moore, one of our elders here in our West Seattle Expression, he spoke on the sovereignty of God in Romans 8. And that pulse of God's sovereignty throughout the scriptures is, is one that we, so inspiring and motivating for us to look at and encouraging for us to look at. And Habakkuk is one that is deeply involved in the sovereignty of God, but in this sense of a personal prayer and dialogue between God and the prophet in him trying to reconcile these things. Habakkuk was confronted with pain and sorrow and oppression and all of these things around him, and yet he has this very honest prayer and dialogue between God, and that is the book. That is the book. The three chapters is this this dialogue. In a sense, you could imagine Habakkuk standing in the city center, looking around him, and around him is not the city that he had been in for years to come. It was a city in ruins. It was a city that was filled with destruction and filled with oppression and filled with his friends and people he cared about being taken away, being accused wrongly. And in the future, he, as a prophet, as God's mouthpiece, he's looking and he knows that more judgment is coming. And he, Habakkuk, is trying to reconcile that with God's sovereignty. There's one, a Christian apologist, which means someone who kind of argues for the Christian faith. He summed up the experience of seeing and discussing the problem of evil and suffering in the world with recognizing this tension that Christians should have, which is we recognize and we see these problems before us. We see suffering. We see evil. We see these difficulties. All the while believing in a good God who is all-powerful. And he said there is a healthy tension there. He said any time... 
a Christian tries to just rationalize this tension or just kind of argue their way into comfort, they're never satisfied. Because in the end, we are always faced with this tension of beauty and barbed wire. It's never satisfying to comfort our real experience of abandonment, of injustice, of evil, with a logic, logical solution. We need something more. We need to know this God of the Bible. And not in a, like a, a knowing sense, like I comprehend this, but a knowing sense in the sense of I am formed by this. I know God. So the title of this sermon today is Knowing God because we get to see through Habakkuk that our faith must be the ladder that we use to climb over the barbed wire and into beauty. Habakkuk, the heart of this dialogue, is summarized in our verse that, our verse that we're focusing on, which is this. Habakkuk 2.14, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord's glory as the water covers the sea. Friends, here the whole message of the minor prophets, of all 12 of the minor prophets, can hang in the balance of this answer. Habakkuk, this honest dialogue, is speaking comforting truths to us showing that to know God's character is to trust his timing and how all of his actions through his character and his timing are ultimately find their fulfillment in Jesus. Despite all of our worries and all of our fears that we have, we can trust God because we know him. We can trust that he will accomplish all of his plans through Jesus and the world will know his glory. So that's what we're going to be focusing on today. Would you pray with me in that direction? Father, we come before you and we thank you for being patient with us when we are in seasons and moments of distress. We thank you for being good to us when we are confused at things that happen around us. But God, I pray as we focused on God's, on your sovereignty last week, I pray that this passage and this verse would encourage us and strengthen us to further lean into your sovereignty and to lean into your grace and let our past grace that we've experienced through you drive us towards a future of faith. We love you and we thank you for Jesus and I pray that you would remind us of his goodness and his greatness. And we love you in Christ's name. Amen. So first thing I want to focus on here is knowing God's character. If we want our faith to be the ladder that we use to climb out of this barbed wire, like I said earlier, we have to know who we are praying to instead of just focusing on what we're praying about. I don't know if you guys have that tension or if you guys have recognized, but within me, sometimes I forget 
who it is I'm exactly praying to when I get absorbed in the happenings of the things that are going on around me. And I begin to focus a little too heavily on what I'm praying about versus who I'm praying to. One strength of Habakkuk here was his focus on God's character in the center of, of this horrible situation around him. So like I said, he was a contemporary of Jeremiah. And in Jeremiah's prophet, in Jeremiah's book, Jeremiah was a prophet, in Jeremiah's book, there's a lot of dialogue and interactions of Jeremiah speaking to a bunch of different people. Jeremiah is such a weird book. That is such a weird, strange prophet, like him being in underwear for like a really long time. Him like laying down, like God had him do all sorts of weird things. And every time that happens, he's like directly pointing to people, being like, you're bad, you're bad, you're bad. And everybody's like, we have no idea what you're doing. And you look strange, so we don't want to follow you. And God said, that's my point. So all of that aside, you have that weird thing going on. But then you have Habakkuk. And Habakkuk is, like I said, he's in the city square, and he's unique because he's not talking to anybody. He's not talking to anybody but God. A lot of us think about when we, when we want to find comforting passages and truths in the in scriptures, a lot of times we go to Job, right? Job's a great place to go. But I think some of us neglect just the intimacy that we find through Habakkuk's prayers and how much he knew who his God was. This is a moment when knowing God's character allowed him to pray honestly and find satisfaction in the deepest questions of his heart. Which is, which is one of them is, how can I really know God when God seems, when God doesn't seem to care? This is a very telling question. I think one that each of us should ask ourselves at one point or another. I'll say it again. How can I really know God when God doesn't seem to care? Let me draw your attention just to verse chapter, to chapter one, verses one through four, just to let you know what I mean here by this interaction of um, of Habakkuk in this prayer. This is what it says. It says, The pronouncement that the prophet Habakkuk saw, and now this is him praying straight to God. He says, How long, Lord, must I call for help and you do not listen, or cry out to you about violence and you do not save? Why do you force me to look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing, oppression, and violence are in front of me. Strife is ongoing and conflict escalates. This is why the law is ineffective and justice never emerges. For the wicked restrict the righteous, therefore justice comes out perverted. Real prayer. That's real. Real faith evokes real prayers. For a prophet to say, I just want you to focus on that one phrase. For him to say, this is why your law is ineffective. That is a very audacious thing to say to God. 
But he's able to do that. Why? Because he knows God's character. He knows who he is praying to. Not just focus on what, not focusing on merely what he's praying about. This God that, he's a, that he is looking at and that he's making these honest, big statements to is one who he has seen do miraculous things in the past. And so what he's doing now and what encourages us to do is when we pray honestly, we allow the Spirit to use past grace to drive future faith. Past grace and what God has done in us and through us drives a future faith into resting in His character of what He is going to do. So that we can pray honestly in these moments and God can hear us and we know where we're coming from. There isn't a doubt that God won't do it, that God can't do it. It's a pleading of what He will do. Past grace, what God has done in and through you, always drives future faith. His character is good, and he is patient. And when we're able to, in moments of, of difficulty, look back on all of the testimony of these moments in our lives, we're able to gain greater clarity of what we're, what's going to happen to us in the future. When it doesn't seem like God cares, lean into that. Don't take it for yourself to make these decisions on your own. Lean into that. Don't, don't avoid the opportunity to pray honestly. It's so much easier to, to say, I don't want to go there because nothing's happening. So instead, I'm going to take matters into my own hands and yes, prayer needs to be a habit of my life. Prayer needs to be a regular thing. But what we find is that our prayers become more and more superficial, less and less real and honest. But friends, don't give in to that kind of temptation. Don't, don't superficialize your faith because superficial Christianity should always be an oxymoron. Christian faith is rooted in a personal relationship with God himself. Therefore, our prayers can always be honest. And the more real our prayers, the more real and genuine we get to see all of his grace in our lives. And this is what, this is what Paul prays for in, in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 17 through 19. He says, I pray that you, being rooted and firmly established in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and width, height, and depth of God's love, and to know Christ's love that surpasses knowledge, so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Notice, he doesn't just want us to comprehend the knowledge of God, but to know Christ's love that surpasses our comprehension and leads us into a place 
of faith. That's what that means. People can comprehend things all the time, but knowing it is the formation that we need. That's what we need. When our confidence is in God's character, then we begin to under, uncover God's timing. Which is my second point, which is to know God's timing. This past, this past week, in the last few weeks now, as we've been preparing for this Imagine Kids camp, it's been really fun because I'm having just these like bursts of memory of theater and teaching theater and doing all that stuff. Um, but oddly enough, I don't know if you guys have, do you ever have this like a smell or like a, a thing that immediately takes you into another kind of memory? For me, this is weird, but anytime I smell like faux fur, I have this anxiety of time, of like timing. And I'll tell you exactly what happened. This is where it changed me. It's when I was in Cats. I was doing Cats, and I was Rum Tum Tugger, if you guys know that, that musical. Regardless of this new movie of what you think Cats is, Cats is really cool. It's a good, it's one of the greats. It's one of the all-time greats. It's super complicated, and it's a really complicated play to be a part of because, like, it takes a long time to make sense of any of the songs and the lyrics and lines and everything. But when I was in Cats, me and all of my fellow cast members were all in this faux fur, and we're standing backstage. And it reminds me, as I was, like, preparing for the um, leading this drama sections in the camp next week, it reminds me of timing. And timing and the cadence of musicals has so many moving elements because you have the orchestra down below, then you have the stage director, and then you have the cast who's actually either dancing or singing or acting to it. And all of it's revolving on this like precise amount of timing. And good acting and good, good musicals are when the cast members behind are looking in and they'll be able to pick up on the timing of things, even when it gets out of sync. Because if someone messes up, which someone, oh, no one's perfect, it slightly hinders the cadence of that scene. And good acting will pick up on that and recognize it. But here's, when I was doing Cats, the problem was, there was only one problem in this whole thing. It was an awesome musical, we were all playing, we were all doing a great job, but in order for us to get from one side of the stage to the other, there was no way we could go around. And so we had to go outside the hall in the back down this, like, soundproof hall to get to the other side. Now, that's super scary when you're paying attention to the cadence and timing of your lines and when you need to get going. So there was always, on the, on the headset, there was always this question of, like, uh, they're like, where is Deuteronomy? Deuteronomy, he's running in the hall. Is he going to make his lines in time? And then you would look back and you would see like this giant costume of a person running as fast as they can, huffing and puffing to get to the other side. And I was in like the, I don't even want to share what I was in, but I was in like a bunch of fur stuff and everybody was always, cats were always just running back and forth on this hall that no one understood the timing for. And in those moments, this anxiety begins to like settle inside of you. That there's something happening in there 
and I have no idea what's going on. And then there's me, and I'm trying to keep up with all of this. And as soon as you go back in, you stand there. Now you're trying to figure out what happened. It was terrible. So obviously that's why I'm scarred from it, you know, because I, I have these bad memories now. So that's what I'll teach your kids, you know, <laughs> next week. But when we're thinking about that, when we think about the timing of things, I often find that those little memories and examples lead me to think about my life in general and how I perceive time. Do you guys ever think about your timeline and God's timeline? Do you ever sometimes feel like you're in a soundproof hall where you're running from one direction to another, filled with obstacle after obstacle, only to recognize that something actually is happening over here, but you have no idea what it is. Sometimes I find myself in those moments questioning. I do believe God is doing something here, but I am in this hallway now, and I don't know I can't get myself out of that. I can't move myself out of my current experience to experience God's timing. So how do I reconcile that? How do I reconcile that? And I think that some of what the apologist was saying of using our faith as a ladder to climb over the barbed wire into beauty is a part of recognizing that tension, of knowing God's character always should lead to us trusting in his timing. Even when God doesn't seem to act. I love that, that what God says to, what God says to uh, Habakkuk in response to this. Habakkuk just shared that very honest prayer. And if I could, if you could look at Habakkuk, thankfully we get to see that he's someone, an example of someone who's not caught in this tunnel, this soundproof hallway. But instead, he's looking to God and he's trusting in his timing. And this is what God says to Habakkuk in verse, in verse 2 through 3, where it says, The Lord answered me, write down this vision. Clearly inscribe it on tablets so that one may easily read it. For the vision is yet to be for the appointed time. It testifies about the end and will not lie. Though it delays, wait for it, since it will certainly not come and it, since it will certainly come and not be late. So you might ask yourself, what does that mean? Because only God can say, though it delays, wait for it, since it will certainly come and not be late. That has never worked with me. Anytime that I am late, though there's been a delay, it will not come late. I will not be late. No, you're late now because there's a delay, right? That's, that's the tension that we're seeing. But I think the beauty of that is to see how God can say that, and we're now able to get into a picture of God's timing. What he goes on to say is that is it, in, it is in my timing, not yours, that the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord's glory. Even as much as the water covers the sea. It doesn't mean 
that your challenges are any less challenging. It means that you've got to put your faith in me, not in your timeline. I think that my problems can, honestly, when I'm comparing it to this, to this moment in Israel's history, that they can shrink in comparison to these problems. But each of us isn't called to do that. We aren't, the scriptures don't tell us to belittle our difficulties and our challenges when we're reading this. There's a humility that can come from that, but we're not asked to belittle it. We're asked to bring it to God and let him show us how his timing is perfect despite the delays that we see, despite the delays that we experience. Each of us is faced with a very real challenge of being called to trust God's timing and feel like he doesn't act. But is it really that? Or is it really that we are called to trust his timing and we feel like he isn't acting right now when we want him to? Those are very different. J.A. Packer, he does a really good job explaining this in this book called Knowing God, which if you haven't read it, you should totally read it. It's wonderful. But he says... All Christians are called to a life of faith and follow the sense of God's will at whatever the cost and trusting him for whatever consequences there may be. True. But we are all tempted sooner or later to put status and security before loyalty to God's call. And then if we resist this temptation, we are at once tempted to worry about the effect of our stand. That's true. That, at least in my experience, that's true. When I'm faced with a moment where my timeline or God's timeline are kind of coming up, I'm like, God, I have told you, I have, I have, you have called me your son, I'm going to follow you. So what's really happening, though? Because I'm kind of scared. Right? That's, that's these moments that happen. There's a temptation at first, and then there's a second temptation to worry about your commitment. Our lives are always going to be marked by this. They're always going to be marked by some form of insecurity. But you must fight to let God's promises prevail within you. This is when preaching Romans 8, 28 helps us a lot where we say we know all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. Just like John shared last week, God's sovereignty is our comfort because we are pulled out of our own timelines, out of our, out of our silent, soundproof hallways, and into God's, which is far more comforting and far more satisfying in any and all circumstances. Knowing God's character and knowing his timing will always lead us to knowing his son. Especially, especially when God doesn't seem to stay. I want, I want you to think about those Emmaus disciples in the New Testament. If you don't know that story, it's about two disciples who go, they've just heard all about Jesus being buried in the tomb, 
And now they're walking this road to Emmaus, to a town called Emmaus, and they're upset about it. They're disappointed that they thought God was staying. They thought God was here. I, we thought that Jesus was the redemption of Israel, and he left like he died. There's no coming back after death. And so they're walking on this road, and they're just sitting in it or walking in it. And then Jesus, without revealing himself, appears to them. Now, Jesus had never left them. And yet they're sitting in this walking. I, got, I really got to be careful there. They're walking in the understanding that they've convinced themselves that God did not stay. But listen to this interaction in uh, Luke 24. It says, One man named Cleopas answered him, Are you the only visitor? This is him talking to Jesus, but he doesn't know it's Jesus. Are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that happened in there these days? Well, what things? Jesus asked them. They said to him, The things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, powerful in action and speech before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be sentenced to death. And they crucified him. But we were hoping that he was the one who was about to redeem Israel. I, that's, that's like my favorite line in that. Besides all this, it's the third day since these things happened. And moreover, some women from our group astounded us. They arrived early at the tomb, and when they didn't find his body, they came and reported that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it, just as the woman had said, but they didn't see him. This is my favorite part about these guys that we, I think that we can identify with, is that there's like things happening around them, and now they're confronted with, what do I believe about God's character? How do I trust his timeline when I have my own experience that's happening? And everybody around me is doing something different. Where is Jesus then? When it seems like he left. Right in front of them. Jesus is right in front of them. They are literally talking to him. And he begins to unpack through the scriptures God's past grace to drive their future faith. To equip them, to comfort them by looking on what God has done so that they can move forward in confidence. Jesus is there, and despite what they knew in that moment, they were already wrapped in his plan, in his sovereignty. And in that, they're resting in John 17, verse 3. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and the one you have sent, Jesus Christ. I love 1 Peter 5's prayer to encourage us when we feel lost in those moments, when we feel the same kind of tension, the same kind of difficulty that we have of leaning, needing to lean into God, leading, needing to lean into Jesus, and yet struggling to look at the things around us. 
But 1 Peter 5 gives us this assurance that we can rest secure in Jesus, where it says, The God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, establish, strengthen, and support you after you have suffered a little while. To him be dominion forever. Amen. Jesus isn't going anywhere. To know God is to know Jesus, who came to earth to die as a ransom in our place so that we would actively turn from our sins and rest in his grace and forgiveness towards us, bringing us in as adoptive sons and daughters of God to walk secure in his grace so that for us, just like these Emmaus disciples and just like Habakkuk, we too can use our past, God's past grace to drive future faith. So these are three truths that I want to take away from. Three truths to know about God when you find yourself in this kind of tension and difficulty. First is this. He cares about you. Even when you feel like he doesn't. If you are caught in a season of confusion, lean into that honestly. God isn't worried about our eloquence of our prayers. He's worried about the sincerity of our heart. God has done great things in your life. Let him show you through honest prayers. The Holy Spirit will minister to us. That is the comfort that we have. That we do have the Holy Spirit to minister to us, to remind us of what he's done so that we can turn to him in these moments of difficulties when we believe that he does not care. He helps comfort us to remind us that he does. The second is that God acts in discreet and apparent ways. So in every situation that we can see, we can see God's movement throughout it all. Trusting God's timing over your own means to look diligently for the scenarios and scenes around you and not be held to your own timeline. Lean into his sovereignty and develop a habit of seeking his movements, of identifying his movements of grace before assuming that he's complacent. Right now, in our nation particularly, we have a lot of opinions on this, of people trying to decide whether or not God is judging, whether there's these forms of judgments that are happening, what's going on here, well, we'll look at that, look at that bad thing, look at that bad thing. If we get stuck in that, then we begin to subconsciously believe that there's a complacency that God has over this and we forget his timeline. And we begin to put him into our own. Trust his timeline over your own. Remember that he acts in discreet and apparent ways. 
There's grace in both. And the third thing is, is that he stays committed to you. Jesus isn't going anywhere. To know God is to know Jesus. He endured the cross so that we would persevere, not in our own strength, but in his. Christian, that means every moment Jesus is working out something. He is Lord over all, meaning all things good and bad. So his promise, his promise in 2.14, to fill the earth with the knowledge of the Lord's glory as the water covers the sea, is the promise that we lean into and that we hold on to that when everything else is happening around us, we know that ultimately it does not have a foothold of eternity because the only thing that will stand is God's glory. The only thing that will last for eternity is God's glory. Nothing apart from his glory will last. And those who rest in his grace through faith will be swept up into him and remain secure. That should comfort us. That should comfort us when evil attempts to convince us that it's here forever. It lays on rocky ground, and Jesus will conquer in his time, not ours. So what happens then? If we're to rest in the comfort that the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord's glory, what is it then that we can do as we move forward? I think that I want to take you to, or I want to take you to Habakkuk's, the end of Habakkuk's story. I think it's one of my favorite endings in all of the Bible. Because in the end, let me draw your attention uh, to chapter 3, verse 17 through 19 as we close. Just to see this reconciled faith to all of these truths. At the end of his prayerful dialogue with God, Habakkuk says, this is chapter 3, verses 17 through 19. Read this with me. It says, Though the fig tree does not bud, and there is no fruit on the vines, though the olive crop fails, and the fields produce no food, though the flocks disappear from the pen, and there are no herds in the stalls, yet I will celebrate in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. The Lord, my strength, the, the Lord, my Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like those of a deer and enables me to walk on mountain heights. Be comforted in that, church. Even now, as a time such as this, when it's easier to be confused than be comforted. God's plan is unhindered. God's glory will prevail. Let us continue to know him and be strengthened by him to put our full confidence in his son Jesus who will, in his time, fill the earth with the knowledge of the Lord's glory as the water 
covers the sea. Let's pray. God, we come before you and we lay all our burdens down and we ask you to bring up the other burdens that we're carrying that we've been holding on to for a long time. God, we ask that you would help us see your glory in it all. Help us see by revealing to us the past grace that you have provided, the past grace that you've, that you've done in and through us to drive a future faith so that we might climb over the difficulties of our, of our current season of life, however that looks to each of us, and to remember that your timeline is perfect. Though there may be delays, that you are never late. And we can trust in you because we trust in, in your son, Jesus. Help us know you. Help us know your timing. Help us know Jesus. We love you and we thank you for all your grace in our lives. In Christ's name, amen.